This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series brought to you by Ozark Institute, an initiative of OncoSpark, a technology-enabled revenue cycle management company, discussing your life as a medical coder, offering tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Wednesday. Well, hello, everyone. We are live. Life as a Coder podcast is live today on LinkedIn. All of our listeners that are going to be listening later, watching later, we hope you'll enjoy this session today with my friend, uh, Kim Clayson. Hi, Kim. Thank you for coming on the show today. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. Well, it was so exciting. You know, we both got to be at the Decision Health Conference in Orlando last year. And although I was running around crazy, I didn't get a chance to physically meet you. I have to shout out to my girl, Jessica, for introducing us uh, and connecting us. Um, But let me ask you about your experience there. I know you spoke on the anesthesia track. So Mm -hmm. how was that experience and what did you have to say to the attendees? How did they respond? Um, So it was a great experience. Uh, I I spoke on what could be rather dry topics on um, HIPAA compliance and uh, Stark and anti-kickback, but, uh, you know, I tried to make it as interesting as possible. Luckily, there can be some pretty um, heated cases in Stark and anti-kickback that kept the crowd interested. Um, so I think it was really well received. I got a lot of questions and follow-up from it uh, and, and, you know, more specific questions that folks had. Uh, so it was a really great experience. Well, I'm happy to hear that. You know, I'm just like, I love compliance. I love me personally, and people that hear me talk about my history in healthcare personally is they know that I had this dream of either going into law, like being in the courtroom, like that way, or I was going to go into medical. Um, I had both in my head when I was getting ready to decide as getting out of high school what I wanted to do. So I was like thinking like paralegal, court reporter, and then I even thought about going in medical. And so I went that way. But I still love the law. And like, I love the idea someday of myself even being an expert witness. That'd be super cool, like, experience to have. But I also want to learn from those in your field, you know, because compliance is such a big deal. And I feel like people are scared of it. And they're just so afraid that they're going to do something wrong. And, you know, it's going to be this huge repercussion. And it can be, you know, that way. You know, you you do want to have some sort of normal fear of it so you can make good decisions, right? Yeah. Um, but let's tell me about yourself too. What got you into this legal field and even into the healthcare part of it? Yeah. So I personally also very much love compliance. Um, what I found because I have worked in, you know, financial management within the law and, um, dealing with people who've had, you know, businesses that have financially struggled and there's so many, uh, you know, non-healthcare related compliance issues that can go wrong for a business that can lead to, you know, financial difficulties. And so, um, you know, I I see health law in particular as a place where there are many, many potential pitfalls, um, either leaving money on the table by doing things wrong or, you know, exposing yourself to millions of dollars of risk. Um, So for me, uh, being able to come in in a proactive way to work with a business, a healthcare business in particular, to make sure that their compliance programs are working correctly um, so that 
the business and you know can thrive and and the and the and the doctors and the providers are um, you know profitable and doing really well in their business. It's, it's compliance is really key to that, um, and it's kind of the difference between being a very successful medical practice or having a lot of struggles. And so for me, I, I just want to see people excel in their in their professions and 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 get everything out of it full satisfaction. And compliance is really important to that. It really is. Now, have you have you had success in working directly with practices, those that maybe have a compliance program and those that don't? And have they had a good response when you've come in and talked to them? Well, so so far, most most people that I work with are kind of, for whatever reason, are aware of the need and, and aware that it's something that inside the practice, they can't do it alone. It's just it's mm-hmm. too big of a nut to crack right. alone. And there is a need for some additional support outside of an organization to really do do the right kinds of work. So um, we'll, we do a lot of the preventative work. So the security risk assessments um, to help, you know, that are kind of a required a requirement that you do that on an annual basis um, and helping practices kind of walk through those um, through those to make sure that they're doing it right. Um, you know, double checking the, um, you know, the HIPAA privacy policies that the organization has written and making sure that they're in alignment with um, what they're telling themselves in their assessment. So um, I think what's been really exciting and why I really like working in the healthcare field is that I, I do feel like that working with providers, they know what they don't know, just like I know what I don't know about other areas of work. And so they, they really do want to try to achieve compliance um, and, and take those proactive preventative measures. Absolutely. And, you know, compliance isn't um, foreign concept and it's it's not something that's just in healthcare, right? I mean, like every single industry, for the most part, you, you think of, they have some kind of compliance program or we in healthcare have our own little thing, right? But but yeah. other industries do have a compliance, um, you know, setup because it's all about checking and even auditing, right? Like when we audit situations, it's important to audit. It's important to have compliance because you got to make sure that you're above board and you're doing things the right way. You're ethical, right? We want to do things ethically and, and correctly. Yeah. So in comes now this idea of us coming together to create this orthopedic conference. And I know you met Jessica at the conference and her and I are kind of taking this conference on and really coordinating and making sure that we offer the best education, um, obviously for documentation, billing, coding, but we also always bring in a compliance um, speaker. And so I want to thank you, first of all, for coming to the conference. I'm so excited to have you attend um, and it's virtual, but we're so excited to have our attendees in July um, be able to um to hear from you. And so just for attendees um, that are going to be coming or those that are watching now, just so you know, of course, uh, when this is happening, this is live July 15th and 16th. And so we're really excited um, that you get to come. And um, if you have questions, of course, please put them in the chat as we're talking here live. Uh, But why do you think uh, we need compliance specifically in orthopedics? What are some of the specific orthopedic related issues that we see? Well, um, one of the big things I'm going to be speaking about is a law that was newly implemented and effective on January 1st of this year. And I think um, it's, it's been the, the um, source of many, many puns because I think it did <laughs> land on us with a lot of surprise. Yes. At the beginning of the year. <laughs> and that is the No Surprises Act, which is really going to be um, something that orthopedic practices in particular need to be on top of and make sure that um, they're doing it right because... Um, with a lot of 
I mean, there's emergency and elective surgeries that happen in orthopedics, and, and it's really going to impact how um, orthopedic practices are communicating with patients, um, making sure that they're providing the proper notices and, and good faith estimates and doing it the right way. So I think it's really important as a check-in, um, kind of at a midpoint in the first year of compliance, um, are, are, are you already fully up and running following the compliance? Do you know what's involved there? And so um, really getting into the weeds of what the No Surprises Act is going to mean and the steps that are going to need to be taken. Um, there's still a lot that's under development. Um, there was an attempt at CMS wrote some rules that had to be retracted. And so they're rewriting uh, rules right now about the alternative dispute resolution process. So hopefully we'll have some news about what that looks like in July, but we just don't know yet. Um, and then I also, um, I have a very experienced um, health lawyer that I've been learning how to uh, present information and, and she, Vicki Makoviak, and she um, has a very creative way to bring very interesting information on stark and anti-kickback, um, you know, because it can be very dry information. It's very yeah. um, heady, but when you talk about it in, in the kind of the results, so when, when a, a practice ends up getting into trouble under Stark or anti-kickback and you're looking at those judgment amounts and the types of things that went wrong, I think those are very illuminating stories for are we doing anything that kind of resembles a potential Stark violation. And that also with orth orthopedics, there's a lot of potential that, you know, providers have an investment in an orthopedic com uh, supply company or a manufacturer. And so that there's a lot of important um, rules of the road to make sure that it's being done correctly um, so that there is, because these things can turn into major damages, not mm -hmm. like we're talking multi-million dollars. And so yeah. talking about it from like the real stories that have happened and what's, what really the result is, is makes it a lot more interesting for everyone to really think about how they're running their practice. Absolutely. You know, I'm always trying myself to keep up on latest um, things that happen to certain practices, um, certain physicians. You know, I think most physicians um, should be aware of what is happening in their industry, um, in their specific specialty, like what challenges other practices are facing so they don't fall into those same uh, gaps, so to speak, those same situations. Um, and I've been in orthopedics most of my career on that side, I worked directly in the practice. I've worked with the physicians directly in the OR and then also of course, side by side, helping them get paid and helping them stay compliant. So I'm definitely excited that you're going to be coming to talk to our orthopedic surgeons and orthopedic practices. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, of course, things might be changing. So can you shed a little light, a little bit about what happened that made them have to retract something? Okay. So for the um, No Surprises Act, um, what happens is once a um, a physician who, so an out, you're an out-of-network physician or provider, and you've provided a service to a patient. I mean, the most likely scenario <clears throat> in the scenario that um, the No Surprises Act is meant to address is um, in a hospital setting. We'll, we'll talk about, I'm trying to give a good example here. Um, we'll talk about an emergency situation. So somebody's torn their ACL right. um, and they're in severe pain. They get transported to a hospital that it turns out lucky for them is close to home. So they're, they're at an in-network hospital. That means that the hospital facility has, is under contract with an insurer so that there is an agreement for how the hospital will get paid um, on, on that private insurance plan for services provided. But 
one thing that can often happen, I'm sure many of us have had personal experiences with this while your facility is in network, you might see an anesthesiologist or an orthopedic surgeon or somebody else in the hospital that for whatever reason is out of network. So that particular provider does not have an insurance contract. So what a lot of patients were experiencing was what they call a surprise bill. So um, they're getting billed the, the rates based on a discount that the insurance com- their insurance company has negotiated with certain providers and hospitals. Um, but um, there's this one provider who is out of network, right? right? And so they get this big, insane bill. And they, now they have to figure out how to pay this bill that they did not expect. Uh, so the idea with No Surprises Act is that, no, now those, those out of network providers are going to get paid what's basically like an average contract rate for that particular geographic area. Um, Congress set out, like, these are the criteria that need to be looked at um, when the, if the provider doesn't like what they've been paid, they go back to the insurance company and say, we don't like that. And there's a, a dispute resolution process that's supposed to take place. And um, if they can't work it out between the provider and insurer, then they go to alternative dispute resolution. So they have an outside mediator who comes in, hears from the insurance company, and here's from the provider, okay, um, you're telling me this is why you should be paid more. This is what the insurance company is telling me why you should be paid less. And then um, there's certain factors that the mediator, mediator is supposed to look at. Right. The problem with the rules from what the, um, I think it was the Court of Appeals out of Texas, I'm forgetting the circuit number, but out of Texas, what happened was um, they, the, the, there was a, medical association who disputed and said, you're only looking at one criteria. There are actually multiple factors like the physician's experience, the type of hospitals of the teaching hospital. There's all these like five factors that have to be looked at. And the rules were written to only look at an average pay in that, like the qualified payment amount in that geographic area. So what is the average amount that an orthopedic surgeon is getting paid to repair a torn ACL? Right. So that would be um, because they were only looking at that one factor while Congress told them there's five other things you should be looking at. CMS lost and had to go back. Basically, they decided instead of trying to keep those rules in place and try to adjust them, they pulled retracted those rules. And they're currently working on a rewrite of the rules to come up with something better that takes that more balanced approach through all the different criteria. Absolutely. And, you know, um, for anyone out there that has been on CMS's website and when we're in our practices, you know, we do, we're very transparent with patients. We tell them to go on here. This is the website you should go to. This gives you all kinds of information for you as the patient, as the consumer, there's a consumer section, but there is a disclaimer at the top and they do mention this scenario, this thing that they're waiting for updates on. So they are letting you know that they're working on this. (laughs) So keep an eye on this. Um, So we do want to be aware uh, of all these changes. And since COVID-19 and since this pandemic started, there have been so many back and forth on so many things. So I think in our industry, we're kind of used to (laughs) one minute it's this, the next minute it's this, and then we flip to this and we're just trying to keep up these days. It seems like it's, it's rough. Yeah, no, there's, there's definitely a changing, constant dynamic of a changing landscape. Different rules are, are coming in, different rulings are coming out that make, make things a little differently. And so even though there's, and the other important thing to note, though, is even though there's this one little component of No Surprises Act that's being rewritten right now, there's still current 
pieces of it that you, you need to be in compliance with. <laughs> I have a question that uh, one of our uh, uh, viewers wanted to ask you, going back to the uh, Stark, is their violations seem to be on the rise. Do you agree? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I can't really say from an anecdotal point. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd be curious to look at, you know, the members. I, I, I'm not sure that they are, but uh, I think for sure, um, you know, CMS is really looking for, for where there's potential violation. Um, I think the pandemic has potentially brought out some like people who are providers who you, they're trying to be creative. And a lot of times I think that's the issue is like in most instances, providers are just trying to, you know, come up with new opportunities and ways to make money. Um, but those have, you have to walk that fine tightrope of, you know, staying in compliance and that and doing things the right way um, will also figure out a way to make money because it's great if you can make money, but not if you're going to end up having to pay millions of dollars and trouble damages back um, exactly. to the federal government for, for you know, potential um, stark violations. So I, I don't know if they're specifically on the rise, but I definitely think that there's maybe more of an investigative um, effort at this point in time. Absolutely. And, you know, there are certain triggers, obviously. Um, obviously, if you're a, a larger practice and you have so much out there and, you know, it comes to the attention of someone either through data or it comes to the attention of somebody maybe through a complaint of some kind. So mm -hmm. those things can happen. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, it you know, it is a business, right? Um, yeah. And they are trying to obviously help patients that need that care, but they do have to be reimbursed. And they're looking for that. They're looking for ways to add that reimbursement. And I've had yeah. some surgeons come to me and give me some scenarios to, um, you know, of what they, they think they can maybe try to, to capture. And so we're trying to be very transparent with them. Let's mm -hmm. look at the rules as they sit. Let's look yeah. at um, this payer. Let's look at this guideline, this regulation. Um, does this fit in line with this? Are you okay? If Would this harm you if you did it this way? And so always looking at that before you make a decision, before you go down that road, getting that yes. advice from someone like an expert like yourself or someone who's in compliance that can really offer that. So I think that's really great. Um, and of course, Betty, thank you for, for commenting. Um, one of the things that she said was that um, practices struggle with the new regulations coming out, getting ready for them. And then it being a challenge in court and then having to put that on hold. So it can be a struggle, right? All this back and forth. Yes. Uh, have you had that experience with some practices talking about that? Well, I think we, we, I've, I've worked with some practices who've been very anxious to get onto No Surprises Act right yeah. away and make sure that they're doing everything right. And so, you know, but it's hard because it's still kind of a touch and go. The rules are still being written. And there's this kind of, well, do the best you can to comply and follow the, the letter of the law. And you, you should be okay, even if you're not doing it exactly right, right now. Um, so I, it is, it is hard to be expected to follow certain rules while other parts of it are still in flux. Um, and and I, I know that's a hard road to walk as a provider um, to kind of stay on your toes and make sure that you're watching for every potential issue that, that you might need to address. I mean, the good news is there are a lot of forms that are created, um, you know, in terms of like how to do the good faith estimate. There's an actual form that you can download from the government websites that actually allow you to do it the right way. So if you're using that form, you're, you know, you're probably going to be okay. Just make sure that you're staying up to date and 
and you know checking in to make sure nothing changes on that form. And then there's also standard language that there's the notice provision that needs to go on your website and be given to patients in person. Um, and again, there's a lot of templates out there, just like there are for you know HIPAA privacy policies. There there is a lot of information that is readily accessible um, that will you know if you're if you're using that, you're probably going to be okay. Um, so well, you know you're going to have to have somebody kind of keeping tabs and checking in and looking for updates. And there's ways to do that too, because um, CMS and HHS, there are uh, emails, you can get on an email server and, and they'll, they'll send you, like on the listserv, they'll send you updates about what's happening, right. um, changes that are coming down the pipe. So, you can, so there are ways to stay on top of things, but probably you wanna have somebody who's designated as a compliance officer who's looking at this stuff on at least like a monthly or bi-monthly basis mm -hmm. to make sure that you're continuing to catch up as the law is adapted and the rules are written. Absolutely. And I 100% I agree. And I always tell like as a consultant, when we go into practices and, and talk to these individuals or we're doing provider education, I always tell the staff too, like, do you have these? Do you get regular updates from mm -hmm. even just like for our, our stuff, like MLN Matters articles? Like, do you get those yeah. sent to you? Do you, mm -hmm. and I even, I subscribe to the HHS. I get those updates as well. And there's other um, industry um, companies out there that have great information on legal things happening in healthcare that I even follow as well so that I yeah. can always be up to date. What's happening in different areas? Um, how does this affect me? What can I learn <laughs> from yeah. this faux pas that happened in this <laughs> area that can that can help me? Of course, I want to share with everyone what they can expect at our upcoming orthopedic conference. I know everyone's super excited to listen to you, of course, and you're going to be a hot topic, girl. I'm telling you what. So, but um, obviously, we want to also talk about reimbursement and, of course, billing coding, and then, of course, compliance. So. Um, we are going to be looking at that first day, July 15th, is going to be a really great day uh, for us to think about compliance and just procedures in general. So we are going to be having, um, of course, I'll be speaking on staying compliant with specific areas of coding like office procedures and injections. And we are going to talk, of course, about what's the law got to do with it. Again, we're going to be going into all of that with compliance and the No Surprises Act how that affects the orthopedic practices. And we'll also talk about tips for improving your provider relationship um, for you coders out there. Of course, we're going to look at some common denials, audit risks. Um, and then, of course, for specific coding information on, on the 16th, we're going to be digging into some specific coding issues, some documentation so we can, of course, and it all goes back to compliance, right? It all goes back to we're going over this information so we can make sure the documentation supports what we're billing. So then that goes back to compliance as well, making sure we're getting paid accurately for the services that we are providing. So I want to let everyone know about that. And of course, we definitely want to make sure everyone um, will be able to attend. So if you want to get your phones out, guys, and you want to get there quickly, there's a QR code for you. If you want to access the, uh, the conference page and learn more about it, buy your ticket, um, there are going to be 15 CEUs for all you coders out there who need CEUs to keep up your credentials. Um, we're going to have some great, uh, great topics for you to be educated on. And of course, um, Kimberly will be there. I will be there. And of course, Jessica Burke, you know, is um, one of my right hand girl in orthopedics. She will be there speaking. Um, and we have some great speakers as well um, coming at you. So stay tuned for more information as it becomes available. 
Um, is there anything that you want to uh, say in closing um, before we go out? And where can people actually uh, find you and access uh, if they need to talk to you about anything? Um, yeah, is there a way I could put in the chat for my contact information? I can do yeah, that. Absolutely. But um, in closing, I just want to say, like, I think, you know, if, if it's been a while since you looked over, you know, especially if you haven't done anything with No Surprises Act, I really encourage you um, to make sure you're you're getting up to date on that. There's some really simply fairly easy things that need to be done right now to get into compliance. So really just check in and make sure you're doing that right. And, um, you know, if, if it's been a while since you've looked at your HIPAA policies and procedures, since you've looked at a security risk assessment, I also encourage people to, to make sure that they're staying up to date with, with that and are checking in. If, if you're not a compliance officer, um, checking in with your compliance officer in your practice to make sure that um, things are up to date um, and where they need to be. Um, within reason. And um, then, yeah, I can be reached at um, my office and I can pop, are you, if I put this in the chat, I think you can. Yeah, go right ahead. And then we're also going to put it in our show notes for the podcast. So if you are hopefully listening already to the Life as a Coder podcast, um, you'll be able to access that for sure. Um, So let's go ahead and uh, get that over to you guys. One moment. There we go, guys. So if you yeah, want to contact like Kimberly, um, <laughs> she is available to um, to talk to you if you have any questions, especially if you're in orthopedic practice and you need this legal assistance. Um, we definitely recommend coming to the conference, listening to her, so you can talk to her directly there. Um, but again, you can contact her if you have any questions or, or concerns. So thank you, Kimberly, for joining us today. Uh, this is the Life as Coder podcast live. Uh, join us every Wednesday for another episode. This was our bonus live, so we're glad you got to join us today. Uh, but check out the the, the conference, the OrthoCare uh, Summit, July 15th and 16th. Thank you, Kimberly, and we hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you. Thanks for joining the Life as a Coder podcast. Please feel free to rate or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other healthcare professionals just like you. Join us next Wednesday for another episode. We'll catch you then.